Let's, uh, let's read God's word from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. This morning I want to discuss the topic of peace. As I think about peace, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is speaking to us about here in Romans 5. And peace is something we have far too little of in our world and in our lives. I mean, you think about on a global scale, the news that you hear of the ISIS terrorist group cutting people's heads off. You hear of the problems even in our own country, in our own communities, even with people losing their jobs. Casinos closing down, which on one level is a good thing, but on another level puts people out of work and disrupts the family and disrupts the peace of our community. Think about even in our own lives, how hard it is just to have a sense of peace that things are the way they're supposed to be and they're going the way they're supposed to be from day to day. Peace is very elusive. And then I was thinking about this, and last night I was driving to Pizza Hut to pick up pizza, and on the radio they played an Alicia Keys song for me. And uh, it's called We Are Here. And she laments the lack of peace, saying, Bombs over Baghdad, trying to get something we ain't never had. Let's start with a good dad, so real, but it's so sad. And while we burn in this incense, we're going to pray for the innocent, because right now it don't make sense. Right now it don't make sense. You know, right now, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. There's a lot of things in our lives that don't make sense. Why is it happening this way? Why has it got to be this way? There's a lot in our community, in our nation, in our world that doesn't make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is because we are not at peace. We're at war. Alicia Keys goes on to sing, saying, Our souls are brought together so that we can love each other. Brother, we are here. We are here for all of us. Now, we are here to love each other. That's a command that God gives us. Jesus says that we'll know you are my followers if you have love for one another. But the problem is we don't love one another. We don't love each other. And we love ourselves. And, and, and even sometimes we don't really have peace with ourselves um, because we don't have this peace. We don't have a peace with one another. We don't have a peace with God. And if we're ever going to have peace with one another, we have to have Peace with God first. Peace with God is what makes it possible for us to have peace with people around us. Now we're going to look at what that looks like and how that happens. 
And we're going to look at it three ways. I'm going to show uh, from God's word the problem of peace. We're going to look at God's provision for peace. And then finally, the payoff of peace. So let's look together at Romans 5, verse 1 through 11. We're going to look at this. First, let's look at the problem of peace. The problem of peace is that we're not at peace, we're at war. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to look at verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. And this is the way that God describes for us our condition apart from Christ. Romans 6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We were weak. We don't like to be weak, do we? You know, like you're playing out uh, in the park and somebody comes up talking tough. What do you do? You don't just go, oh man, that guy's bigger than me. You got to step up, right? We got to cover up our weakness and act tough and say, you can't pick at me, right? We are weak. We are unable to stand up for ourselves, is what God says. We got a problem that's so big that we can't fix it on our own. There's a cross reference here to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 where we're told that we were dead in our sin and our trespasses in the way that we used to live. We weren't just weak. Our weakness is so bad, it's killed us. This is a problem. We're dead. How can you have peace if you're dead? I looked at this, Hosea 13, verse 4 through 6 and verse 9. Hosea is back in the Old Testament. I'll read it for you. You don't have to look it up. It says, I am the Lord your God through the land, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up, and therefore they forgot me. Now have we become so filled with the blessing of God? Have we become so filled that, that we are dead, that we are completely numb to God's presence? Have we become so filled with His blessing that we have forgotten that He is the giver of all good things? And so we've got to try and show ourselves to be strong rather than relying on the God who is strong. Who can be stronger than God if He is outside of all space and time, if He is the creator of all the universe, if He is the one who calls things into existence that did not exist, And the one who creates life from the dead. Is anybody bigger than God? Is anybody stronger than God? Absolutely not. And so why are we going to act like we're strong when we know we are weak? Now that's going to come to play in a little more. But don't forget God in the fullness of his blessings. Hosea 13.9 then says, He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. See, the problem of peace is we're not at peace, we're at war. We are weak against our God. It's natural for us to try and show that we're strong. But even worse, in our own weakness, we continue to fumble around and we continue to to drop the ball and and to cause problems for ourselves. I have this problem. I'm clumsy. I mean, you see it with this microphone dangling off my ear. I can't keep it on on my head. I try and cover it up. I even try and just be very careful. And Like right now, I'm being very careful where I stand. There's all these wires. If I take a step, I'm going to trip and fall. And th- this weekend, we were, were sitting there uh, enjoying time with my brother. 
I've got a drink in my hand and I'm holding on to it and it, ju- it just fell out of my hand and created a mess all over. I'm clumsy. And that's what we are in our weakness. We're clumsy. We try and do right and we trip all over ourselves and make a mess. In our weakness, we create problems for ourselves. Our weakness, yours and mine, is that we're unable to keep peace with God in our actions and that's what breaks down our peace with God. That's what breaks down our peace with one another. Because we are sinners. And so we and of ourselves cannot be anything but a sinner. No matter how hard I try, I can't be but clumsy. It's just who I am. Verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners. We've been born into this rebellion that is sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given all the blessing of God and all the world. They were living in paradise. God said, you can do whatever you want. Just don't mess with that tree. So what do they do? The first thing they do is they run over to that tree. And when they do, their whole nature was corrupted. They then were ashamed and afraid. And they had to face some of God's curse where they were kicked out of paradise. And you and I have been born into that line, each and every one of us. Earlier in Romans, Paul writes, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, Paul will write later, is death. We were born into this, but we can't just blame it on our parents. If we really think about it, if we were really honest when we did that confession, we can remember even this week in our thoughts and our words and our actions when we were selfish when we were hateful, when we were enemies of God, when we were enemies of someone else, when we were sinning. It's the most natural thing for us to do is sin. And sin disrupts peace. There's the problem. I remember in Bible clubs this summer, we were sitting in, I think it was in Busby Village, and we're doing Bible clubs. And one of the little girls on the tarp, some of the little boys started acting up. And one of the little girls started yelling at them, that's why you need Jesus in your life. <laughs> that's what, you need to get some Jesus in your life. Because these little boys are sitting there and they just can't help but to act up and to disrupt things, you know? They just can't help, but it's natural. And, and, but still, she's yelling, you need Jesus in your life. Because why? Because your actions need to change. I don't know, just yelling you need Jesus in your life is going to create a lot of the change we want to see. But it's good to hear there's some of that going on. It was so good for us this summer in doing the Bible clubs to see the change that God is bringing into Atlantic City through the faithful witness of New City Fellowship. Through the faithful witness and the work of hope for Atlantic City. But we are sinners and that disrupts our peace. Even worse, we were enemies of God. Romans 5, verse 10 tells us, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So we were enemies of God. Not just dead, that God can maybe breathe life into and then all of a sudden we'll follow Him. We're not just weak where God can just give us strength and then now we're strong enough to stand for God. We were enemies in that if God just breathes life into us, we would oppose Him. And that if he gave us strength, we would use it to fight him and his purposes. We were enemies of God. And how do you make peace with your enemy? 
I guess it depends on what news channel you watch. Some of them say you must find appeasement. And then another news channel will say, no, you just bomb them all to death and get rid of them. How do you make peace with your enemies? With the people who oppose you? The people that hate you? This is how God made peace with his enemies. So the problem is, we're weak, we're sinners, we're enemies of God. But God makes provision for peace. Let's look now, a little better news for us, the provision of peace that God has given us. Let's go back to Romans 5, verse 1 and verse 2, and then we'll look at verse 7 and 8 for this. Verse 1 I'm sorry, let's start with going back to our weakness. Verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we are weak, we're not strong enough to follow God. We're not strong enough to maintain peace, to do what God has called us to do. So God sends Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mighty one, the strong one, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, comes in and maintains, makes peace. The strong one who can uphold it, who died for who the ungodly, for me who is weak. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God. God provides Jesus Christ for we who are weak even worse, for we who are still sinners, Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. We who are sinners, we who are lost rebels, Christ bled on the cross for our behalf. It humbles me, it breaks my heart to think of that. To think that it's my sin that nailed Jesus on the cross. It's my rebellion I can blame the problems of the world on someone else. I can say, look at how awful ISIS is or how bad the gangs are or I just wish my parents were better. But when it comes down to it, the problem is me. And when I look in the mirror, I have to be honest and say, Christ had to die for me. I have to be honest. The provision of God is Jesus Christ on my behalf. so that I can be at peace with God. Even more, while we were enemies, while I hated God, there was a time in my life I hated God. I, I, I grew up uh, going to church occasionally. I grew up hearing about God. But there was a time in my life when things fell apart. My parents got divorced. My best friend was run over and killed. I hated God. God, how can you do that? God, you're so good. How are you allowing my family to break apart? Why are you taking my friend away? What are you doing? And I hated God, and I was bitter, and I was angry. And anyone came trying to tell me about God, I wanted to flip them off and tell them where they could go. I was an enemy of God. And yet I stand before you here today telling you of God's plan. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God's provision for peace amongst God's enemies. And I can stand here as one who was God's enemy, but now is called friend through what Christ has done. In the early church, there was this man named Augustine. Augustine was a guy who 
before he knew Christ, he was wealthy, he was educated, and I guess he was good-looking because he got a lot of ladies. Augustine was living the life, so he thought, but he was an enemy of God. He wasn't at peace in his life. He came to know Jesus Christ and to know God, and he has peace. And really, if you read Augustine's Confessions, that makes like keeping up with the Kardashians look like Sesame Street. The things that he confesses. But when he found peace with God, when God took him from being an enemy to being a friend, Augustine writes, he says, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. That we look for all kinds of other ways, but until Christ calls us and brings us to him, until we find our rest in him, we're restless and we're enemies. And we have no peace. When I meet somebody who who isn't a believer, I make a, a case of saying, you know, God bless you. And I think we usually take that as, oh man, he wishes good things to happen for me. And I do. But the good thing that would happen for you if you're not a believer, if you're not trusting Christ, is that you would be so conflicted and so broken and have no peace in your life that God would break you and bring you to your knees so that you would put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because then, and only then, do you really have peace. And why is that? That's because our sin needs to be punished. Because we violate a just God's just law. And for God to be just, there has to be a payment for our sin. And the payment has to be through blood. We wonder, we say, wait, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. This is how God has established it. And so God makes provision for us through Jesus Christ. While we're enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Christ shed his blood and died for us. Throughout Christian history, pastors and missionaries have tried to make this make sense so that we can convey this story, so that lost people, enemies of God, will be brought into God's family, will be reconciled to him. That's the whole reason New City Fellowship is here in Atlantic City. That's the whole reason Hope for Atlantic City goes and does work projects and brings team in to go into the communities and serve. Is so that lost sinners, enemies of God, will be reconciled to God. In Indonesia, a missionary in the 60s was trying to serve the Sawi tribe trying to share with them the gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He died on your behalf and rose again. And as they heard the story, they heard about the man Judas who betrayed Jesus. And their two warring tribes valued betrayal over loyalty. And so Judas became the hero and the missionaries were frustrated. What do we do? What do we do? And then they heard about this story these two tribes had that when two tribes would decide that they were going to make a peace treaty, what they would do is that the two chiefs of the tribes would exchange their newborn sons. And then as long as that son was living, there would be peace between the tribes because they didn't want to go to battle and kill one of their own in battle. So it would maintain the peace. This has become known as the peace child. And as the missionaries shared this message with the tribes, they were cut to their heart. They saw the truth and the glory and the greatness of God in the gospel. And they were converted. They came to know peace through Christ. 
And I read just recently that 50 years later, 50 years later now, these tribes are still at peace with one another. They're still following Christ because of the power of the gospel, because the reconciliation and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our peace child. Jesus left his father's throne to live among his enemies. He came as a man, came in the flesh. The enemy tribe that's waging war against God Almighty, Jesus stood in with us. And Jesus is the provision for our peace with God and with each other. Jesus bore our punishment and shame on the cross and died in our place. So his obedience in making a a, a way of peace, God raised him from the dead and calls all of us who would by faith trust in him that we have a new life and we have a promise of not only life now, but an eternal life full of God's blessings. So Jesus lives as our peace. As long as he lives and he lives eternally, then we have a promise of peace with God through faith. And if we have that peace with God, then we're called to pursue that peace with one another. We're called to be a people of peace amongst people who are enemies. And we are justified. We are made right. Not by anything we can do. Not by any kind of works. We are justified through faith. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way of peace is through what Christ has done. We have peace with God by trusting in Him. By realizing all our attempts and efforts have failed. How many times when you try and make peace with one of your enemies, does it blow up in your face? You try and make things right, or maybe even like two of your friends are fighting or having a problem, and they come to you, so you get stuck in the middle of it, and you try and make things right, and it turns around and you become the bad guy? All the time, right? Like every time, to where you want to be like, okay, I'm done, I quit. The only way for peace is to point our friends to Christ and to be pointed ourselves to Him. So we don't work. We trust. It's Christ's work applied to our record. That's what grace is. We don't deserve it. We deserve actually the opposite. Yet God, Jesus, takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. And this word justify, it doesn't just mean, okay, you're forgiven, now just don't do it again. It means not only that, that only takes you a little of the way, but it even takes you to the point of being righteous, to where you had never sinned, you had never been weak, you had never been a sinner, you had never been dead, but you had been alive in God in Christ the whole time. That is God's provision for peace. So what's the payoff? What's the benefit for us? Why should we pursue Christ in this way? Look with me, verse 9 through verse 11, and we'll see the payoff that comes through God's provision for peace. We're told then, since we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We are saved by Christ from the wrath of God that we deserve. And we are given access to God. Why can we pray to God? It's not because that we are so good. It's not because God is just all loving and not just. 
It's because Jesus Christ has stood in as a propitiation, standing in our place so we can stand in His, so we can approach God boldly with our praises, with our requests. You know, without Jesus Christ, it's a very dangerous place to be before the face of God. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, whenever God appears, you know what happens to people? They drop to their knees. They start to stutter. They start to shake. They're weak. They're afraid. Because God is holy, as we sung this morning. God is set apart. God is holy other. There's no way to approach Him unless God Himself has approached us and stood in for us. So we have access to this grace through faith. All that means is, Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did? If you do, then do you build your life on that reality? The way that you interact in your community and in your school and in your work and your family, the way that we read the news and interact, is it shaped by Christ? And we have this access to grace, not my record, but his so that we are no longer enemies, but friends. Jesus said in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my Father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So these things I command you, so that you will love one another. So Alicia Keys is right. Brothers, we are here for one another. But we cannot be for one another unless Jesus Christ unites us together. Unless Jesus Christ unites our communities, we will never have peace. And if Jesus Christ has united us, then we have access to God, access to grace through our trust in Him. And that has caused then also another payoff for rejoicing. Romans 5, 2 says, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Which means this, Jesus Christ our Lord laid aside His entire throne room to come and be here with us, for us, on our behalf, so that we bow the knee to Him as Lord, which means He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mightiest ruler of all, that He laid aside everything to make peace with His enemies. He took the bullet for His enemies so we could have real peace. This is how you make peace with your enemies. This is how God made peace. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Man, that's hard. How often do you thank God for your suffering? We think about, we do prayer requests, we think about thanking God, we say, well, I thank God for the good things. But how often do we go, man, I really thank God that I have a family member that's struggling with cancer. I really thank God that I can't pay my bills this month. I really thank God that I'm struggling in my marriage or in my family. We don't really do that. We usually complain and say, God, what are you doing? And if we complain, it allows us to become embittered and to be drifting away and more estranged from God and estranged from others. But if we've been reconciled, we can thank God even in our sufferings. Paul writes, he says, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that it produces endurance. Produces long-lasting endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. It's like if you want to get really good at anything, it's going to involve suffering. You want to be a really good soccer player, you're going to have to run a lot. 
You want to be a really good musician. You're going to have to practice a lot. We want to be a really good speaker. You're going to have to speak a lot. And it's going to hurt. There's going to be failures. There's going to be times when you want to quit. I, I ran a 5K last year, and I did it. It's three miles. I did it without running because I said, you know what? I'm in good enough shape. I used to be an athlete back in the day. I, I don't need to run and train and get ready for this. And so I started running, and the first mile was okay. Did all right. The second mile was a little harder. I started breathing heavily. I started thinking about, well, maybe I, I don't have to run this. There's some other people walking. Maybe I can walk too. But I kept going. And by the time I got to the third mile, I wanted to quit. But the guy I was running with kept going. I thought, I can't, I can't stop running now. I got to keep going. But I wanted to quit. I was crying out to God the whole time. God, make it stop. Where's the finish line? I'm done. I can't breathe. Everything hurts. But I made it. I made it. See, in anything in life that we want to do well, we've got to suffer for it. And if you want to follow God, it's going to involve suffering. And it might just be the suffering of, you know what? I've got to say no to some things. I've got to prioritize my schedule. It might be the suffering of scorn and shame that people say, why don't you come with us over here? We saw that this summer at one of the Bible clubs. We're hanging out at the Bible club. Some of the older boys are starting to hang out at Bible clubs too, which is great. But what often happens in communities is the boys get older as you get to 9, 10, 11, 12 years old is the gangs start coming around. And they start saying, come here, we'll provide you our peace. We'll give you security. The gangs have no opportunity to provide peace. All they offer is a, a quick death. So we're sitting at the Bible club. These teenage boys come up and they want to sit on the tarp with the little kids. Blows my mind. It's amazing. Then the gang start coming and say, why don't you come with us? The boys say, no, I, I'm going to stay here. I guarantee you those boys suffered for that decision. I guarantee you they were mocked or they were scorned. But you know what that produces? Endurance. Because if you can deal with suffering once, you can deal with it twice. And if you can do it twice, you can do it a third time. And a third time, a fourth time. And eventually, you have endurance. And endurance, over time, produces character. To where a character is, this is your personality. And you are making different decisions than the people around you. Your decision is to follow God and to glorify God through Christ. You can rejoice in your suffering. And character ends in hope. Hope is the assurance of Christ. So I can follow Christ no matter what else happens because I know that He is my peace and He is the path of peace. And I know that no matter what else happens, He will not fail because as long as He lives, I have peace with God and I can have peace with anybody because of what He has done. And we rejoice finally. Verse 11 says, We rejoice in our reconciliation with God. We rejoice in reconciliation. It's a joy to be made right with God and to be made right with people. How blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity, right? We rejoice in our reconciliation and what God has done to bring us together. So what does this mean for us? It means, first of all, lay down your arms of self-reliance against God. And come to Jesus. Trust in Christ to be your peace. Accept his terms through the blood of Christ. 
But if you've received the peace of God through Jesus Christ, rejoice in it. Too many Christians don't rejoice in God. It's some glum thing. It's something we do. We come to worship and we got nothing else to do on Sunday. But we gather to rejoice in what God has done. And if you've been reconciled now, you are a reconciled. You are an agent of peace. And so you have the words of peace to take to your community. You have the words of peace to offer to your family. The word of peace is the grace of Jesus Christ. That though we have the problem, God has provided the path and that we get all the payoff. Let's pray and ask God to give that to us in our communities. Almighty God, thank you for this morning, this opportunity to be here in Atlantic City. More than that, God, we thank you for the provision of peace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. Almighty God, stir in us by the power of your Spirit a faith, a deep-rooted trust in you and what you have done. Make us agents of peace in our community. God, that we would see this area, first of all, our lives, and then our families, and then our communities, and then the entire city and the region will be transformed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us and go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Brent Kilman, Assistant Pastor at Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.